Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. FDA recently came out with a new program. They're calling it the E-STAR program. E-STAR is an acronym for Electronic Submission Template and Resource, and it pertains to 510K pathways. So who does this apply to? Uh, Is this something that you should be paying attention to? Well, the good news is we've got Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences, joining us on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, where we dive into a lot of the details on this E-Star. So be sure to check it out. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory Aid, Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Really excited to be joining you yet again. And uh, folks, as always, thank you so much for being loyal listeners of the Global Medical Device Podcast. We continue to be number one, and that's in large part because of you and, and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. So thank you for that. Exciting topic today, or I think exciting. I guess we'll find out here in a few moments. There's a new program at the FDA called the E-STAR program. What is that? Yeah, we'll, we're going to get into that here in a moment. But joining me on the Global Medical Device Podcast is familiar voice, Mike Drews with Vascular Sciences. So Mike, welcome. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure to speak with you and your audience. You got it. So yeah, another quote, new program from the FDA. I'll use air quotes for now. And we'll, I guess, in the course of the next few minutes, uncover how new this really is. But this E-STAR, which stands for Electronic Submission Template and Resource Program, uh, it's pretty new. It's only been out for a few days. So I guess first place to start, what is the E-STAR program? Well, and it is a great place to start, John, and thanks again for the opportunity to have this discussion. So, as you mentioned, this is a pilot program, and simply put, it's really nothing more than a PDF-based 510K template that basically allows the manufacturer to, to collect and to import all of their usual 510K information, their data, and so on, into this PDF-based template in order to be able to send it to the FDA. It's basically intended to, to make it more effective for both the company, or sorry, I should say efficient for the company, but especially for the FDA because this PDF template was designed to synchronize with the internal review templates that the FDA already uses. But the important thing to remember, John, I think, is that the information that goes into this template itself that information is exactly the same. In other words, there's absolutely nothing new here in terms of content or regulatory burden. Anybody that's familiar with the the content of the 510K or anybody that's submitted a 510K in the past, the information itself will be exactly the same. It's just the format that we're delivering that information to the FDA is a little bit different now with this PDF template. And one other thing that I would just add John, is that FDA is not going to be applying the RTA checklist to these submissions that come in via this uh, E-STAR template, presumably because if you pass the E-STAR template, you automatically pass the RTA. But I think that's an assumption that needs to be be tested. Yeah, I have a couple questions. Uh, The last piece was really intriguing. The first question I have, do you view this as the same as the e-copy? 
It's very similar, not exactly the same, but very similar. I think it's also very similar to another relatively new pilot program that some in our audience might be familiar with, and that is the Quality and 510K Review pilot program. I would argue that it's actually the E-Star program that we're talking about today is very similar, maybe substantially equivalent, pardon the pun, (laughs) to the Quality and the 510K Review pilot. For those that are not familiar, and maybe that would be another topic of a, of a future discussion, John, but the quality in the 510K review pilot program, is it's another alternative method that a company can use to submit a 510K. It uses what's called the e-submitter software, which is more robust. I have been involved with this. It's, been, it's more robust than simply the e-star PDF format. But there are some limitations for the quality in 510K review, namely that it's limited only to devices that use what I call well-established technologies. In other words, devices that have been around for a while, where their safety and efficacy is well understood, where their performance testing requirements are, are well understood and accepted. And in fact, that particular program currently is limited to medical device that fit into certain predetermined product codes. FDA has uh, identified about 40 product codes thus far that are applicable to the quality in 510K review pilot. So there's a lot of similarities between all of these different programs. All right. So uh, I guess I'm curious, and I want to explore the RTA thing a little bit. The quality in 510K, does, does that also eliminate the RTA process, or is that still part of that program? You know, that's a good question, John. I'm not sure off the top of my head. I would have to check on that. I'm not, right. I'm not sure. Thank you for asking me a question that I'm not able to answer. I like well, that. Happens. It rarely happens. So I guess I should get a gold <laughs> star for today. You, um, you definitely get a gold star for stumping the, the yes. regulatory consultant. But the RTA thing is interesting to me. You said that if with the E-Star program, it eliminates the RTA piece because presumably if you follow the template, then everything that's expected will be included with your 510K. So I'll ask it open-ended. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, again, just to be clear, John, FDA makes it quite explicit in the um, in their announcement and their supporting information about E-Star that the RTA uh, checklist will not be applied to E-Star submissions, at least during the pilot program. Of course, they didn't explain why. So it's my hypothesis, my speculation that the reason why that the RTA is not being applied is because if you submit the template properly, then that should essentially take care of it. Uh, and, and you and I have talked about the RTA in the past. Maybe that would be another topic of, of an important conversation in the future again, because even though the RTA checklist, and by the way, RTA has refused to accept uh, the checklist has been around for a while. Still, as we'll talk about, an awful lot of submissions, 510K submissions are rejected based on the RTA review, the administrative review. But I think more importantly for our audience to understand, John, is What's the goal of the E-Star program? Do you think that's something that we should dig into? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I I don't want this to be about RTA. That's a whole different topic in and of itself. But yeah, what, what is the big idea? Why now? What What's the objective here that, that FDA is trying to accomplish? So I think in my not so humble opinion, John, it comes down to two things. First of all, uh, what you know is publicly announced by FDA and, and, the, and the politicians is it's another way that we can try to increase the efficiency of the 510K review process. However, and I cannot stress this point enough, 
when it comes to increasing the efficiency via the E-Star program, we are only talking about administrative review. As maybe some in our audience already know, John, when FDA reviews a submission, whether it's a 510K or anything else, it's a, it's a two-step process. The administrative review followed by the scientific review. The administrative review which is where we use the RTA checklist, is nothing more than a bean counter sitting down with your submission on one side of their desk and the their version of the RTA checklist on the other side of their desk and just going through your submission and making sure you have all the sections, making sure you have all the signatures and so on. The much more important part of the review, which ESTAR does absolutely nothing to address, is the scientific review where FDA will re review the content of your submission, your substantial equivalence argument, your testing methodology, your clinical data, if you've collected clinical data and so on. So the goal of the ESTAR program, I think, is to increase the efficiency of the review process, specifically the administrative review. The secondary goal, which I think is just as important, but I don't hear anybody talk about because it is kind of embarrassing to the industry, is to try to, try to decrease the ridiculously high number of 510Ks that are rejected on administrative review. And as a matter of fact, John, I've started to, to suggest recently that companies that have a 510K rejected on RTA review, or sorry, on administrative review, maybe they should actually have to pay a higher user fee than somebody that is accepted through the administrative review because, quite frankly, it's taking more of FDA's resources to read some of this mess. And let me just say, John, as you and your audience know, I work as a consultant for the agency, so I see this from both sides. Some of the, some of the submissions that I see come into the agency are just painful to read. I just literally painful to read. So I think companies, you know, I had a professor years ago in an in a engineering law class Every question on the exam was worth anywhere from plus 10 to minus 10 points. He said if you, if you knew the answer, you got the answer right, you would get eight or nine or 10 points. But if you didn't know the answer and you started giving him a bunch of BS, you were, going to, you were making him use his time to read that stuff. So he was going to make you pay for that by subtracting points off. In the 20 years that I've been teaching, John, I've never had you know, the hotspot to, to, to do that. But believe me, I've been tempted and maybe FDA should do something similar. I mean, it's an interesting concept. I mean, it's almost like I can see this manifesting in a couple of ways, like almost like the, I don't know, we're not making policy here, but but I pay my fee. And then if it gets rejected during the RTA stage, I have to submit another fee. I mean, uh, there's there, that makes a lot of sense. It, I, I'm guessing we would probably see some improvement <laughs> in the quality of submissions if people had to pay more money for it. So, um, but it's it's a good it's point. It's simply an idea. It's simply a suggestion. No, an Do we want to focus on the carrot or on the stick? That's uh, basically what it comes down to. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm I'm guessing since this is a pilot program, the E-Star, uh, that this probably isn't across the board applicable to everything. So uh, I guess maybe a little bit of clarity, what types of devices and, and 510K submissions could the E-Star program be used for? So right now, you're exactly right, John. It's a pilot. FDA is looking for nine uh, companies to volunteer or victims, perhaps, that represent a very broad swatch of the medical device industry. They need to be planning to submit at least one 510K within the first uh, three months. And the company also needs to agree to provide feedback to the FDA on the e -Star 
process. That actually is a little bit concerning to me, John, not that it's not a good idea, but because it certainly could be viewed as burdensome or time-consuming to companies with really no significant benefit to the company of of doing this. The metaphor I uh, use for this, John, is years and years ago, uh, I used to volunteer to be a beta tester for some of Microsoft's, you know, software for Microsoft Office and so on. I got no benefit. I was, I think, a graduate student at the time, so I had a little bit of time. I would, you know, provide, you know, feedback to Microsoft on how to, uh, you know, make their software better. But, you know, from the perspective of a company, if they don't get benefit by providing that, you know, what's their incentive for doing it? And so because of this, John, you know, keep in mind that the FDA wants to a representation of, of the broad industry. I think they're predisposing their sample to be biased towards large companies, quite frankly, that can afford that, you know, overhead of having somebody yeah. provide you know, feedback to the FDA and really discouraging small companies who, who can't afford that overhead. Yeah, I mean, that is a, certainly a concern, especially I, I think there's um, pretty well-known statistics that something like 80% of medical device companies have uh, 50 or fewer employees. Um, right. So, you know, if the 80% of the market is, this isn't a program for them, it's the, the program isn't going to to really accommodate the needs of the large share of the industry. So that is a little bit of a concern. Let me, let, me ask, let me answer the, uh, the, the the other part of your question, yeah, sure. John, which was the, the, the types of devices and the types of 510Ks that are eligible for E-Star, at least right now. So FDA specifically includes the three major types of 510Ks, the traditional, the special, and the abbreviated, as long as you're planning on submitting one within the next three months. What they have interestingly left out is the relatively new safety and performance-based 510K that you and I have talked about in some discussions in the past. Whether that was a simple oversight or by design, I'm not sure, but here's my interpretation of that, John. Since you and, As you and I have discussed in the past, since the safety and performance-based 510K is essentially substantially equivalent to the abbreviated 510K, I would argue that the safety and performance-based 510K is applicable to the ESTAR program. So that's just my interpretation. And another thing that FDA specifically is excluding from ESTAR, at least right now, is 510Ks involving combination products. I suspect because combo products, you know, it's uh, it, it tends to be more complicated. So maybe we'll start out with the simpler straight up devices first. Okay, that makes sense. There's some additional technical requirements, though, that our audience should be familiar with. The device needs to come in contact with body tissue. That's what FDA says in the description. It needs to come in contact with body tissue, but it does not mean that it needs to come in contact with the body. So to me, one of the applicable technologies that might that uh, might be attractive to people to try this if they want is in vitro diagnostics. Yeah, because in IVDs, as you know, John, you're taking tissue, a bl- blood sample or something like that from the patient, and you're putting it in contact with your device. So the regulation says the device must come in contact with body tissue. It does not say it must come in contact with the body or it must be invasive. And then the last technical requirement that our our audience should be aware of, John, is that the device must include software. So automatically, that's going to exclude a lot of other mechanical 
devices like catheters and so on that represent a, a very broad section of the of the 510k universe. I suspect if the eStar program is successful, they will relax that requirement in the future and let you know non-software-based devices in as well. But for right now, the device must include software. There's a lot of rules there. I mean, it seems like that narrows the uh, applicable products down a lot. I mean, so, I mean, it has to have uh, tissue contact, but not necessarily, and software. I mean, that that, that seems like that's going to be a very narrow slice of the medical device industry. Or am I thinking about this the wrong way? No, it's 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 not. So on one hand, it's a, it's a, it's a balance, John. On one yeah. hand, you know, FDA wants to cast a broad net. But on the other hand, this is a pilot program. And before we start opening it up to every medical device under the sun, you know, we want to test it out. And, and, and so it does make sense to limit it to a certain extent. Um, keep in mind that this is just all for the pilot, John. I think if the, if the program is successful, these restrictions will ultimately go away. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and folks, I want to um, remind you, I'm talking with Mike Drews with Vascular Sciences. We're talking about this uh, new pilot program from FDA called the E-Star, the Electronic Submission Template and Resource, which uh, relates to 510Ks. And you know, certainly as you're going through the design and development process and in need of regulatory strategy and, and uh, help with that pathway and whether or not a tool or a resource like the E-Star is applicable to you or not, uh, Mike Drews is a great resource for you to consult with. So feel free to reach out to him, connect to him, and, and see how he might be able to help. One of the best, folks. Uh, and while you're at it, you might as well check out what we're doing at Greenlight Guru, uh, www.greenlight.guru. And you can learn more about our uh, medical device QMS software designed specifically for med device industry by actual med device professionals. Um, specifically, as it relates to this topic, we have workflows to help you manage your design control activities, design reviews, risk management, and really help you get your product to, to the point of regulatory submission a little bit faster, a little bit smoother, a little bit clearer. Uh, so be sure to check that out. Mike, we've got a lot of links that we'll share with folks about this program so they can do some additional reading on their own. And one of the things that this is a pet peeve that drives me crazy, and this eStar is an example of that. When you read through the information about the program, there is a link to the eStar PDF template. And I use Google Chrome as my browser, and it drives me crazy that, that uh, a lot of these templates from FDA cannot be viewed in Google Chrome. So that's, you know, pet peeve aside, but there is a template uh, or form, right? There is a form, John. You're correct. And, uh, you know, don't get me started on, you know, the, the IT challenges. But that, that that's a topic of a different discussion. Yeah, it's a 25, sorry, it's a 21-page form. And as I said earlier, the content of the form is, should be no surprise to anybody that's either put together a 510K or has read a 510K. The basic sections include the device description, any guidance or special controls that are applicable, the labeling of your device, both high-level labeling like the indications for use as well as low-level labeling like the directions for use, the classification, the substantial equivalence and the predicate selection, the other miscellaneous topics like reprocessing, sterility, shelf life, biocompatibility. Because the device needs to have software, yeah, there's a section in there on software level of concern, which is what I call software classification. Your standard information about 
performance testing, the, the usual administrative information like your your truthful and accurate statement. But again, I can't emphasize this point enough, John. There's nothing new here. You can look at the section of the of FDA's website called Content of the 510K or the RTA checklist, and you will see exactly the same information. And the other thing that's very important, I think, for our audience to understand, John, is that the E-STAR does not affect in any way, shape, or form the regulatory burden of the medical device. In other words, the amount of testing, benchtop testing, clinical testing, and, and performance testing, and so on and so on, is exactly the same whether you use E-STAR or not. The only thing that's, that E-STAR provides is a, is a standardized format, uh, a STED format, for those of you that are familiar with the PMA side of the world, to convey this information to the FDA. That's all it is. It does not reduce your regulatory burden in any way, shape, or form. I think that's important for, for our audience to also remember, John. I mean, I, I haven't looked at the template yet. I'm going to have to figure out how to open that that uh, PDF, and I'll figure that out on my own time. But the STED format is interesting because it, that seems like that there might be a direction to try to be similar to like a tech file, is, or is that a little bit too bold of a claim? Uh, it could happen. You know, we're, we're not quite there yet, but uh, I'm all in favor of improving efficiency and making, uh, you know, standardized forms and so on. But Let's remember, uh, you know, I realized as a biomedical engineer a long time ago that are the hundreds or thousands of parameters that can affect the safety and efficacy of, of a medical device. I guarantee one of them will never be the form that we put that information on. For sure. So let's not let's not lose track of what really matters most here. For sure. And sometimes I get caught in, in the filling out the form stuff at times, and this question might be an example of that. But I know that there have been other, and this might be a, a level of detail nuance that's not really all that appropriate or applicable, but I know there are other FDA forms where you have to fill it out in one sitting and you're not able to kind of save a work in progress. Do you know if that's the case with this template? I know that that's not the case here, John, because okay, as a matter of fact, FDA encourages you. And I, and I, when I was um, playing around with the form myself, uh, as long as you save it, save it out locally on your hard drive okay. or whatever, um, you can save it as many times as you want. Cool. All right. That's cool. So what's in it for me? I mean, why would I care about or want to be a part of this E-Star program? Yeah, great question, John. Unfortunately, from the company's perspective, there's really not a lot of incentives for companies to do this. For example, if you're doing a 510K with eStar, you still have to pay the user fee for this calendar year, 2020. The 510K user fee for most companies is $12,000. If you qualify as a small company, it's about $3,000. If FDA really wanted to encourage companies to participate, they would reduce or maybe even eliminate the user fee for these uh, companies that are willing to volunteer to get into the E-Star pilot program. There's also no nothing um, in, in terms of uh, review time. Uh, in other words, there's no indication that your 510K when, when using the E-Star template will be treated in any priority or expedited or accelerated fashion. Why not? I think that is another incentive that FDA could provide to companies to really want to do this. Really, the only incentive that I can think of, John, and perhaps if you can think of one, you know, by all means, let me know, is simply for a company to desire to make the 510K process a better, a more efficient process. In other words, it's almost like an altruistic kind of an incentive. And yet again, this is why I think it's going to be more of, uh, uh, attractive to larger companies that can afford to be more 
altruistic, and I'll use that word in quotes because it's not, I don't mean it in a monetary sense, uh, and less attractive to small companies that quite frankly don't have the overhead to support that. And I think it's really the small companies that an e-star program would really benefit. So I, I think that FDA could do a better job of encouraging companies to use a program like this. Well, and, and I um, I agree. I think, you know, for a company, I mean, it seems like it uh, has potential to encourage um, a single source of truth in preparing a 510k. It seems like it could be more uh, collaborative in nature because rarely does one person contribute content to a 510k. So it seems like there might be some benefits there. Um, personally, I'm aware of a few different software solutions, uh, software as a service type solutions that have emerged in the past few years that are designed to help companies um, more easily um, construct the contents of a 510k. So bigger question on that topic is, does this e-star eliminate or reduce the benefit of some of those programs? I don't know. I guess we'll, time will will tell on that. Well, and here's a related challenge with this template, John, because somebody asked me just uh, a few days ago when I first started getting pings from some of my customers about this, you know, the E-Star is all about filling this this electronic PDF-based form out. Ironically, John, that E-Star PDF form cannot be submitted electronically to the FDA. Instead, what we have to do, exactly like the pre-sub process for years, is we put that PDF on a CD or a DVD or a USB. We include with it a hard copy of the cover letter, and we send it in a box via UPS or FedEx or US mail or what have you to the document control center of the FDA. So I find it, you know, uh, what can I say? I I just uh, literally uh, hit my forehead with my uh, hand. Like, are you kidding me? Come on. Yeah, I I don't know. Don't don't get me started on that one. All right. So that's uh, obviously a challenge with this program. Are there other challenges that you see with with the E-Star template? Well, uh, that's that's last one it's it's uh i wouldn't you know it's it's a it's a challenge but it's obviously it's a it's a solvable problem you just send it through the mail it's just ironic that's all um but i think if if this template does go into effect in a broader scale in the future you know the ultimate question is is it going to speed up the 510k submission process and i think the answer to that is perhaps a little bit but probably not nearly as much as many people, including some of the high-level politicians at FDA, might have people believe, and here's why. First of all, from a company's perspective, as I said earlier, John, the regulatory burden is exactly the same, which means the company still has to prepare all of the exact same information. They have to do all of the testing and so on. It's just this new format that they're putting it in to send it to the FDA if they choose to take advantage of it. From the FDA's perspective, hopefully it will make the review process more efficient, but will that reduce the overall review time? Remember, as I said earlier, we're talking about the administrative review which should only take a very, very short period of time. It's the scientific, it's the substantive review that takes by far the bulk of the review time, and the E-Star will not touch that. And finally, the last thing that I would point out to our audience, John, is we already have a ton of tools out there, a ton of guidance out there on how to prepare 
five, ten Ks, including administratively the the sections that you have to have, and so on and so on. And yet, still, so many people screwed up. And so the question is, will Eastar really make things better? Um, you know, time will tell. But I, you know, I don't mean to be overly cynical, John, but. Uh, I don't think this is, um, you know, this is going to be a, a solution to all of our problems. And at, the, and at the end of the day, most importantly, I don't see how this E-Star program is going to lead to safer, more effective medical devices in the future. Yeah, I, I will say I had uh, high hopes about this, but uh, this pilot and I'm, not all the flames of of uh, my hopes have been dashed in this conversation, but, a, but, but there has been a few. I mean, the limited scope and the fact that I have to still print it out and mail it. It's like, oh, my goodness. Um, well, hold on, John. Let me, let, me, yeah, let, me, sure. let me be clear. I, don't, I, don't, I think this is important. I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want to be uh, overly accused as a naysayer here. I'm 100% in favor of making any part of this uh, process of submission and review more efficient. That you know, goes without saying because it is clearly inefficient. There's the, what the companies do is very inefficient. What the, what the FDA does is very efficient. So anything that can improve the efficiency uh, in any you know, aspect, uh, I think is is worthy of discussion, but let's not forget. You know, the most important thing, as I said a moment ago, uh, of all of the factors that impact the safety and efficacy of any medical device, the form that we put that information is not going to be one of them. You know, here's a metaphor that I like to use, uh, John, uh, when it comes to ESTAR. ESTAR is nothing more than TurboTax for 510K. And you know, it's interesting because we already have some commercially available products for medical device companies to use to help prepare them, to help them prepare the 510K, which kind of begs the question, should FDA be spending any of their time or resources developing a tool like this? You know, think about it this way, John, we're now in March, pretty soon people are going to be submitting their taxes to the IRS if, uh, if they have not done so already. The IRS, as far as I know, does not provide an online tool to take you through your taxes. You could purchase one. You can purchase TurboTax or some other version, um, but the IRS doesn't provide that. So should FDA provide that? And further, taking the TurboTax metaphor a step further, John, I think that right now, at least, the PDF version of this eStar uh, form is very, very limited because it doesn't give anybody the opportunity really to get additional information. It's not, in other words, it's not going to um, determine whether or not you're using the correct guidance. It's not going to determine whether or not you have a strong substantial equivalence argument. It's not going to, to give you any feedback on your justification for not doing a clinical trial if you're not going to do a clinical trial. Whereas with TurboTax, and I happen to be you know, a user of TurboTax myself, there's a lot of links in there to online resources, to tutorials, to experts, to give you additional information. Um, I would love to see that put in the eStar program, but on the other hand, is it really FDA's job to do that? And the last thing that I want to say about the TurboTax metaphor is at the end of the TurboTax, um, filling it out, it gives you sort of an audit risk indication of a, a quantifiable score between zero and 100 of your probability of getting audited. How accurate it is, I don't know, but it gives that to you. In a program like eStar, should FDA provide sort of a uh, an, uh, an NSE, a not substantially equivalent risk 
you know, uh, between zero and 100, if you submit the, the submission as it is right now, what is the relative probability of of um, uh, of, of getting, you know, a substantial equivalence or a non-substantially equivalence determination? These are all services that I provide to my customers, John, whether or not FDA can or even should build these kinds of um, value-added kinds of uh, uh, um, uh, features into the eStar program, you know, that's something that we all need to discuss. Yeah, no, those are a lot of good thoughts there. I I, um, I like the metaphor. Uh, it feels like we might be uh, at best a few days away from that metaphor becoming a reality, but, um, you know, we shall see. Um, what else should we know about eStar? I mean, are other takeaways, other key points? Is this a good idea? Should I participate? Any thoughts there? Yeah, great question, John. So to wrap this up, the takeaway, you know, from my perspective is very simple. If a company qualifies uh, for the eStar program, you can certainly apply, but you just got to keep in mind, there's really no uh, strong advantages that I can see to to being a volunteer or a victim in, 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 in this program. Uh, as I mentioned, I think it's likely going to bias towards large companies as opposed to smaller companies. And I think it's the small companies that really need Need the benefit of this probably much more so than the larger ones. If you don't qualify for eStar, because remember you have to have software, it has to be in contact with body tissue and so on. So there's, there are some limitations. If you don't qualify for soft for eStar, you might consider the quality in the flat 10K review pilot that I briefly alluded to at the beginning, uh, which is an alternative. If you fit into one of those predetermined 40 or so product codes, uh, you might go that route. But even if you don't apply, uh, Sorry, even if you don't um, uh, qualify for either eStore or for, for quality and 510K review, you can always revert back to the status quo job. You know, you can always submit the 510K the old-fashioned way, which I really think is not that bad. Um, and, you know, putting things in perspective, you know, the most obvious question here is, will eStore, you know, uh, uh, reduce the amount of review time. Well, as I said earlier, I think if it does, it's going to be pretty minimal at best. I'll be brutally honest with you, John. I think what will review what will reduce the review time a heck of a lot more is having a good pre-sub with the FDA in advance of any submission. Uh, and this is a topic that we, you and I, have talked about before. So, if I, so I don't want a company to be penny wise and pound foolish. I don't want to come to me and say, come, company, come to me and say, yeah, we want to get into eStar, but we don't want to take the time to do a pre-sub. I mean, to me, that's the, the quintessential definition of being penny wise and, and pound foolish. And finally, I think here's my prediction, John, um, and I'll be happy to to hear your final thoughts on this as well. I think if the eStar program is successful. For 510Ks, uh, then don't be surprised to see the very similar program for de novos and even PMAs in the future. As a matter of fact, I happen to notice when looking at the current PDF form, there's actually a, a de novo checkbox on the PDF form that's currently grayed out. So I suspect, I haven't seen anything re uh, released publicly, but I suspect FDA already has plans for doing this for the de novo and probably for the PMA as well. Hmm, what are your final thoughts, Doug? What do you think are the takeaways here? Oh, man, it's uh, it's just, you know, you and I recently did a uh, podcast on the different regulatory pathways, and we talked a lot about that. And although this clearly is not a, quote, pathway, um, you know, there's... A, 
there's a lot of devil in the details of all these different options, even within the the five ten k pathway. Should I go the quick route? Should I go the e star route? What about this path and that path? So it, it seems like you know as much as I think we're, I'm anxious or uh, anticipating some more clarity from a regulatory point of view. I have to wonder is is this the clarity I'm looking for? I don't know. I guess time will tell uh, as to whether or not this eStar program grows legs and becomes you know a a um, clearer option for me to consider. I, I don't know yet, to be quite honest. I mean, there's a lot of promise there, but there's a few gotchas as well. Well, the final thought that I would offer, John, and then we can wrap this up. I think most importantly, eStar is just another tool. And kind of going back to my TurboTax metaphor earlier, TurboTax or any other tool is a very useful tool in the hands of somebody that knows what the heck they're doing. In the hands of somebody that doesn't know what they're doing, whether it's uh, E-Star, whether it's TurboTax, whether it's a scalp, you can cause a heck of a lot of damage. So whether a company chooses to use the E-Star format or not, it's not a substitute of having the subject matter expertise necessary to craft a strong substantial equivalence argument, to craft a strong argument to justify why clinical data is not necessary, to craft uh, a strong justification to to explain not just the testing that you're doing, but the testing that you're not doing and why you're not doing it. These are all things that uh, a company really needs to either have in-house or you know, get external resources like us to help them. The tool is nothing more than the mm, than the than the delivery system, if you will, to convey that information to the FDA. I think that's the most important thing that our audience should remember here. So that makes yeah, sense, John. It does. It's a really good point and a really good final word. And and I think we'll leave the E Star topic uh, on that note at this point in time. So folks, uh, again, thank you so much uh, for for being a a listener of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Mike, uh, thanks once again for your regulatory insights on the latest, greatest regulatory news and and programs uh, from the FDA. So I appreciate you doing your homework and and, uh, bringing a a lot of invaluable insights on this E-Star program to the audience. And again, folks, a lot of things are happening in the regulatory world. Uh, some of it might be noise. Some of it might be really valuable for you to consider. And you know, certainly um, remember, you've got friends in uh, Mike Drews at Vascular Sciences and uh, us here at Greenlight Guru to help you navigate uh, these pathways. So be sure to, to reach out to us and let us know how we might be able to help you. And as always, this is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.